Well, good morning, and thank you for joining with us, whether you're here in the room or sitting on your couch watching the snowfall outside. We are glad that you are here. And before we dive into the message today, uh, I just want to give you an update. We talk an awful lot about giving here at Calvary, and today we wanted to share with you a little bit about how those funds that you give go to serve our missions partners all over the world. And so this past week, we received, or a couple weeks ago, we received a request from the Dodoma Christian Medical Center in Dodoma, Tanzania, and they had a need for personal protective gear. You can imagine with all of the things going on in COVID and all the needs that are arising, so because of your generosity, we were able to send $1,500 uh, that'll be spent to buy personal protective equipment for the physicians and nurses at the Dodoma Christian Medical Center. And so we want to thank you for that generosity, and we want to begin to share some of these stories about how your gifts are being spent all over the world to further the kingdom of Christ. But we also hope that this brings us to remember in prayer those in our medical communities, both here around us in the United States and all over the world who are exhausted and who are doing their best to help fight this global pandemic. And so before we begin today, I actually just want to start in prayer. Would you join me? God, we just have stopped guessing in some ways about what's going to happen next or when this will end. But God, for those on the front lines, it's exhausting. For those in the medical community who are helping the sick, who are helping and watching people fight for their life, God, we ask that you would restore their energy, that God, that you would build their faith, and we thank you for their courage to show up every day. And God, we ask and pray that you would be protecting them, watching over them, And God, may we remember to lift them up in prayer and to be grateful for the work that they are doing. God, as we turn to your word this morning, I ask and pray that you would speak powerfully to all of those listening, including myself, and that, God, our lives would be changed, not to make it easier or better for us, but to bring you honor and glory. That, God, we'd see you differently because of the time we spend here this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, whether you've been with us for the past several weeks or not, we have been in the middle of this series we called Pressure Points. And it's been a walk through the book of James. And if I'm honest, James is not the most comfortable book to study. It hasn't been the most comfortable book for me to read or to preach or to think through, there are verses in there that just make us a little bit uncomfortable. And we've actually received some feedback from some of you about people people saying, you know, I just don't really love the book of James. And I think that's okay. But as we say at the gym quite a bit, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And so James does for sure have some challenging words for us. But I think that those challenges, if we embrace them, if we accept them, give us a chance to grow in our faith, to get out of our comfort zone of our faith, and to be stretched 
and to see God work in new and different ways. And the good news is, regardless of how you feel about James, today is the last week in this series. So if you're like, oh, that sounded really nice, Jason, but I'm just tired of James, this is the last week. But as we think about the things that add pressure and stress to our lives and how we should respond to those things, James invites us to respond to that pressure through prayer. And as we begin to talk about prayer this morning, I do want to make sure you know the next eight days here at Calvary is going to be some incredible times of prayer for you to join in, to learn further about, and then to experience. So on Wednesday night, uh, we have Sammy from Merge Ministries, which is a ministry here in Minneapolis, and their mission is to bring 120 nations together in Minneapolis to pray. And so he'll be here to talk to us about their ministry. Then we're hosting a Merge Prayer Night on Friday night. We'd love for you to join us in the room or online. And then next Monday at noon, if you have time, next Monday starts the trial that uh, has lots of anxiety around it for many of us here in the city, not knowing what will happen as uh, the police officers involved in the George Floyd situation go to trial. And we know that that's going to be tense. And so we're inviting everyone to come here for a guided time of prayer for about 45 minutes on Monday afternoon if you have time. So as we think about prayer, this is like the beginning of an eight-day stretch of an incredible prayer focus here at Calvary. So if you have your phone or your Bibles, go ahead and open it to James chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, and we're going to dive in there. But as we get ready to dive in, one small disclaimer. The first author I read as I prepared my message said this about this passage of James. He said that this section of James might be the hardest to understand in the whole letter and possibly even the entire New Testament. Thanks for that, Zach. Appreciate that. So... Uh, that's what happens when you're the associate sometimes. I actually don't agree with that, but I think part of it, what makes it hard is we forget the context that James is writing. So James is writing to Jewish Christians in the first century. This book is aimed at the church. For those of us who say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, and because of that, James has some hard pointed instructions about how we're supposed to live throughout the entire book. And that doesn't change as we dig into this discussion on prayer. So let's take a look at James 5.13 and see what he has to say. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death 
and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. All right. Now, I'll admit that first verse seems a little trite to me. If you're hurting, pray, right? Have we had that advice in our life? This thing's going really wrong, and somebody just says, oh, you should pray about it. I feel like James starts there. But as James digs down, he makes a powerful statement about what prayer is. And I think if we take these seven verses and we squeeze it into one phrase, it's that prayer shapes our perspectives and our relationships, but it's going to require a little effort. Prayer can shape our perspectives and our relationships, but it's going to require a little effort. Now, before we dig in too deep into the types of prayer James talks about, I think we need to take a step back and answer the question, what is prayer? It's a piece that James kind of skips over, and if we don't have that foundation or that unifying statement about what prayer is, it makes this passage feel really disjointed. Now, Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, actually entitled Prayer, says this, prayer is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. Let me read that one more time. Prayer is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. Now, Keller's definition is a little bit long, but I think it sets apart the difference between prayer for a follower of Christ and prayer for every other faith tradition that's existed. Because if you look at all the faith traditions, every one of them has prayer as a core tenet. Every religion that we can think of, and this is an interesting stat, there was a study done recently that found that 30% of atheists people who believe there is no God, pray sometimes. And 17% of those people report praying regularly. So prayer for us as followers of Christ has to be more than just a religious act. It has to be more than ritual. It has to be something more that we, than we do in just times of desperation. And I think that's what Keller's saying. It's a conversation. But actually, it's not just me sitting in a room talking. It's a conversation that God started through the truth of his word and through the death of his son on a cross. And it's a conversation that he invites us into that after we've heard him speak, we've seen him speak, we get a chance to talk back to the God who knows us, the God who created us, and the God who loves us. And as these conversations continue and grow, our faith grows, our understanding of who God grows. Keller goes on to say in his book that prayer turns our theology into experience. Now, theology is just a big fancy word that means study of God, right? Ology always means study of something. Study of God. So this turns our beliefs about God, about who we study God and say God is, into practical experience and maybe never made any more real than in the way we pray. So now that we kind of have a basis or a a brief introduction to what prayer is, let's turn back to James' words. 
And look at the different types of prayer that James invites us to pray. Now, if I'm honest, as I read James, and I know some of you are going to give me a hard time for this afterwards, I can't help but think that prayer in the book of James sounds an awful lot like leg day. Now, if you know anything about leg day at the gym where you're going to work out your leg muscles, uh, lots of people do it. Lots of people do it with a little bit of effort, and they see a little bit of results. And I think James is inviting us to dig deeply into prayer and to put in some serious effort, but says if we do that, we're going to get serious results. So I have five ways that I think prayer is like leg day. So if you think it's a bad analogy, you're just going to have to live with it for the rest of the morning. Like leg day, prayer is better done with others. The truth about leg day is very few people, very few people are willing to push themselves hard enough to put in the work that's required to have a great leg day. Actually, this week at the gym, one of the instructors walked up to a newer member of the class and said, uh, were you here on Tuesday for leg day? And he looked back at her and he goes, I do leg day on my own. And she like tried to fight back this smile, kind of laugh and said, I'll see you next Tuesday. What she knows, what I know is that leg day requires a lot of discipline and it can be done at home alone, but you're probably going to give up before you're actually done with your workout. And if you do it with a group of people, you're going to keep pushing. You're going to see results faster. That group of people is going to push you, encourage you, and model good form for you. And I think prayer is the same way. We absolutely have to pray on our own. We have to have a personal prayer life. But if all we have is a personal prayer life, I think we've missed a huge opportunity to grow in our understanding of prayer and to experience God in that conversation. Because when we pray together, we get the opportunity to learn from other people. They might pray differently than we do. They might use different words than we do. We get the opportunity to be encouraged by their prayers. If you've never had someone pray for you specifically, it is maybe one of the most amazing things you can experience in life. And if we don't pray with each other, we never get to receive that experience. We never get to hear somebody else's words spoken to God for us. And that's a revolutionary experience. I'm not going to say it's not a little scary. Leg day's a little scary too. But it's worth it. And we get to experience community. There's something about sharing the stuff that's going on in your life with somebody, having them come alongside of you and pray for you that deepens a friendship, that deepens a relationship. And this is why we say around here all the time that spiritual growth best happens in circles, not in rows. We hope every one of your small groups is a place where you get to experience prayer in community with each other, growing in that. The second way that prayer is like leg day is never skip no matter what's going on. It is easy to skip leg day. Lots of people do it. Whether you're in a classroom setting or you're not in a class setting, if you just walk into the average gym, whether it be a Y or a Lifetime or a Ferrell's or wherever you walk in, you're going to see at least twice as many bench press stations, 
for your chest and your shoulders and your arms as you are leg press stations. Because everybody likes to work their biceps. You can wear a short sleeve shirt. It's a small muscle. It shows off really fast. And everybody skips leg day. Because leg day is hard. And leg day doesn't get results really fast. And even when you get those results, we live in Minnesota, so you're always wearing jeans and nobody can see those really defined quads or calves that you have worked on in leg day. But leg day builds a physical base that enables us to face the challenges and the things that life brings at us. Whether those be little challenges, like leg day makes it easier for me to walk up four flights of stairs to my office or the real challenges of life. James says the same thing is, about, is true about prayer. Never skip prayer no matter what. Pray when life's hard. I think this is when we most often skip, I'm going to call it prayer day. When life's hard, we find it easier to blame God, to be angry at God that that thing has happened or that he didn't meet our goal or fulfill his promise the way we wanted him to. And yet the truth of Scripture, the truth of God's Word is that God wants us to cry out to Him. Eugene Peterson says that two-thirds of the Psalms are lament psalms, psalms meant to be cried out in anger and frustration to God for what hasn't happened. And so instead of skipping prayer day when life's hard, James says, come to God with your anger, with your hurt, with your broken dreams, and talk to him about it. Pray when life's good. If I'm honest, this is when I'm going to skip prayer day. When everything's going well, when I got the bonus or whatever it was at work, or my relationship with my kids is going well, they're doing well, my relationship with my wife is going well, I'm going to skip prayer day because it feels like life is all together. James says, no, no, no. This is when we actually get to be thankful for what God's done. This is where we begin to keep track. How many of us ask someone in our small group or someone in our life to pray for something and never go back with an update? If we want to see God working in our lives, it's when he answers our prayers. When we remember how he's kept his promises. When we know that our prayers have been answered and we go back to him and we say, thank you. Third, James says, when you're sick. So remember, we're not skipping. This is where my analogy breaks down. If you're sick, stay home, skip leg day. We're in the middle of a pandemic. But if you're sick, invite others to come pray for you. Invite them to come and lay hands on you and pray for you. James says, this is really important. This might lead to your healing. It's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. We don't control how God works in the midst of our prayers. But it can help change our perspective in the midst of that prayer when we cry out to God for that sickness. And he says, have them come and lay hands on you and put oil on you. This is not some like weird, unique thing. The oil in that time was seen as medicine. It had healing properties. You can see that in different stories throughout. So what James is really saying is pray and take your meds. It's not an act. We're not solely reliant on faith to heal us when we're sick. God has created and given minds to doctors and science that enable us to get better. But are we allowing the church to care for us? 
Are we inviting them into our pain and our hurt? You see, prayer shapes our perspectives and our relationships, but it requires some effort. Thirdly, prayer, like leg day, makes us uncomfortable. If I'm being totally honest, leg day is every Tuesday at the gym. My legs are on fire as I stand here today. It still hurts. But they tell me that's going to develop good muscles. That means I'm growing. That means my joints are actually getting stronger. Right now, they just hurt. James says prayer is going to make you uncomfortable. And maybe no more uncomfortable than James' instruction when he said, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confession's hard. It's hard enough to pray to God. And now you want me to tell somebody else? How will they respond? I can't control that. What if they're not as good a friend as I thought they were and they go tell everybody my junk? What then? James says, we have to confess. So I want you to do something with me. I'm going to invite you to engage in exercise. If you're online, you can type this in the chat. You can say it in your living room, or if you're in the room, I want you to say it out loud back to me. We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Hey, nice job. All right, now I want you to do it one more time. You can type it, or you can say it again, but I want you to personalize it this time. I make mistakes. That's truth. Listen to the words of 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living the truth. If we confess our sins to him who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. And showing his word has no place in our hearts. Now, for the most part, sin can be confessed to God and should always be confessed to God. But there are situations where we need to come and confess our sins to each other. I think there's three of those. And the first one being when we've offended or hurt somebody around us. It's real easy for me to be a jerk as a dad or as a husband to my wife or my kids, and then pray to God that God would forgive me for that and never go back and say to my kids or my wife, I'm sorry. See, confession forces us to places of discomfort, the places that bring healing into our relationship. This confession isn't about making you feel guilty. It's about setting you free from guilt. It's about removing shame if we're stuck in sin and need help getting out. Maybe you've got that habitual thing that you just are stuck in a pattern of and you can't seem to break free from it. Who's somebody you know who you could talk to who could help you with that? For me, a couple of years ago, I was stuck in a pattern of unhealthy behavior and sin and I had a buddy, Jay. And Jay and I met every week. We'd have coffee, we'd play golf, we'd talk about life, we'd talk about raising our kids, but I always knew Jay was going to ask me how I was doing. Never once did Jay make me feel guilty. Never once did Jay make me feel ashamed. But his goal was to help me set up boundaries and safety nets 
And if nothing else, just know somebody was going to ask how I was doing. Maybe that's what you need today too. Someone you can confess to. Not as a means of like, this is what you need to go do now so God will love you. It was a means of helping you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And lastly, when we don't feel God's forgiveness. If you've prayed, you confess to God, and you just don't feel like God can forgive you of that sin, you might need to tell somebody else so they can be living that truth out for you and reminding you of how loved you are. Again, this is where small groups play a super important role in our lives. Fourth, prayer is like leg day because form matters. Form matters. You can come and do leg day all you want, and with bad form, you'll get no results. You'll get a bad back. You'll get bad knees, and you'll give up. James says form matters in our prayer, too. He he actually says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. This righteousness has nothing to do with what we do or don't do, and that might be most clearly seen in this story of an American preacher named R.A. Torrey in Australia. So he's getting ready to walk up and preach a sermon in Australia, and a man hands him a note as he walks on the platform. Torrey reads it, and it says, Dear Dr. Torrey, I am in great perplexity. I've been praying for a long time for something that I am confident is according to God's will, but I do not get it. I've been a member of the Presbyterian Church for 30 years. I've tried to be consistent one at all times. I've been a superintendent of Sunday school, an elder in the church, and yet God does not answer my prayer, and I can't understand it. Can you explain it to me? That's a dangerous question to ask a preacher. But Tori recognized the subtext. He walks on stage, and he says this. This man thinks that because he's been a consistent church member, faithful Sunday school superintendent, and an elder in the church, that God is under obligation to answer his prayer. He's really praying in his own name. Tori continues, we must give up any thought that we have any claim upon God but Jesus Christ has done great claim, has great claims on God, and we should go to God in our prayers, not on the ground of our goodness in ourselves, but on the ground of Jesus Christ alone. When you think about righteousness, it's about my relationship with Jesus. And it doesn't mean I'm going to get my prayer answered the way I want it to be answered. It means I'm going to be able to see the answer that God gives. Because I'm in relationship with Jesus, when God says no, I'll see that. Because I'm in relationship with Jesus, when God says, wait, I'll be able to see that better. And as my relationship grows, my ability to pray the things that God wants me to pray and to see how God's answering those grows. Lastly, prayers like leg day and that you should always bring a friend. You know, leg day is the smallest class But when everybody's there cheering you on, encouraging you, pushing you, sometimes they'll set a bigger set of weights in front of you and go, you can do that. It's a lot more fun. Maybe if I want my leg day to be more fulfilling, I need to start inviting those people who used to come to class but don't anymore back to class. Or those who have never tried it out to come and join me. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be inviting those who we used to see in our lives who we knew were following Jesus and maybe we haven't seen for a while. Or maybe those who we know who don't know Jesus and haven't experienced his love, 
Maybe before we go talk to them, we need to pray that God would be at work in, his, in their lives, drawing them back, welcoming them home, that they would see and know that God's forgiveness for them is unending. There's nothing we can do that God can't forgive. And so maybe we need to begin praying for those people who we don't see ever, all the time, praying that they'd experience God's love again or for the first time. Who is it this week you need to be praying for? You see, prayer shapes our perspectives and our relationships, but it requires effort on our part. Are we going to keep skipping prayer day? Or are you and I going to commit to engage in these activities of prayer to show the gratitude in our heart that we have for the things God has done for us? and invite others to experience his love and his grace and his mercy? Are we going to put in the effort to change our perspectives and our relationships for the sake of those we love? Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy. That God, that we have this incredible opportunity to come talk to you to talk to the God who knit us together, who loves us, to hear you speak to us through the truth of your word. God, I ask and pray that you would be at work in that. God, that you would put in us a desire to put forth the effort. That God, that we would come to you, not shy away when life is hard. That God, we would remember the ways you've answered our prayers when life is good. God, that you'd give us the courage and the faith to confess to those who love us when we make our mistakes. God, thank you. Thank you for giving us this gift of prayer, this gift of conversation with you. Thank you for Jesus who makes it all possible. We pray all this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.